0: Listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Mosaic, a congregation of the Grace DC Network in Northeast DC. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org. Good morning, friends, and happy New Year! I don't know what kind of New Year's traditions you might have, but in Korean culture, it's typical on New Year's. To share a special meal with family in which you serve taku. That's a traditional rice cake soup. Rice cakes symbolize blessing and abundance. And so this special soup represents a blessing of abundance over the upcoming year. And so if I could, if only I could, I would cook up A huge vat of rice cake soup for every one of you, invite you over to my house, so we can together anticipate God's gracious abundance in the coming year. Abundance is the theme of today's passage. These verses from Mark chapter 8 invite us at the start of this new year to behold a God of Abundance. We're told in this story, a great crowd had gathered to listen to Jesus' teaching, as they often did. And they found themselves, after three days, with nothing to eat. And of course, as you may be familiar with this story, Jesus, by a miracle, feeds this crowd of 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread and a few small fish. And through this event, Jesus reveals his abundance. And he does this in at least four ways. He shows his abundant compassion. We see in verse two, when Jesus looks out at the crowd, recognizing their hunger, he says, I have compassion on the crowd. Now, this word compassion, it translates the Greek word splagnidzomai. It's one of my favorite Greek words. I just wanted to say it because it just, I love it. It means a pain that you feel in your gut because you love someone. This is what Jesus feels towards us in our times of need. He feels it right in his gut, in his heart. He feels compassion. And I love these almost random sentences in verse 2 and 3 that describe Jesus explaining to his disciples what he observes. They have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. Jesus is almost sort of rambling, picturing in his mind what might happen to these people if he just sends them off. You see... Compassion imagines someone else's hardship. Jesus is carrying the people in his mind, and he cares about their most basic needs, their hunger. Behold, Jesus' abundant compassion. See also his abundant provision. So Jesus then directs the crowd to sit down on the ground. And we're told he took seven loaves of bread. Now, the number seven is actually repeated four times, four times in this story for emphasis. Why? As you may know, in the Bible, seven is a symbolic number that indicates perfection, completion, fullness. See, the people received all that they had need. They received from the fullness of God. Jesus gave thanks. He's acknowledging God's provision. He broke the loaves. He's sharing the pieces with the crowd. He blesses a few small fish. See, he's setting it apart as a gift from God. And he set it before the people like he's spreading out a banquet before him. This is the the deliberate language of God's generosity abundant compassion, abundant provision, there's also in this story abundant inclusion and reconciliation. You see, you might know that this is actually the second time that Jesus performs a miracle like this, where he feeds a large hungry crowd. Back in Mark chapter 6, he does the almost identical thing, feeding a crowd that time of 5,000 people. That's why in verse 1, it says again, when again a great crowd had gathered and they had nothing to eat. But this time, Mark is telling us that Jesus did something special, a little bit different from the last time. This time, the feeding takes place in a place called Decapolis. We know this from the previous chapter. That's a Gentile, non-Jewish region. Uh, That means uh, Jesus is doing this to show that he is coming to feed even those who traditionally, historically, were outside of God's covenant people. See, he's showing that the fullness of God's provision isn't just for insiders, but for outsiders. It's for all people, including Gentiles. See, there's a sharing across borders and boundaries. And Jesus didn't do this meal on the cheap. He didn't provide a lesser meal this time around to the 4,000 just because they were Gentiles. No, 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 no. There there are no second-class citizens here. Everyone gets served the same meal in our Heavenly Father's house. We also see in this passage then abundant satisfaction. See, compassion, the love of God, We see his abundant provision. We see the abundant inclusion and reconciliation of his people. And finally, we see their deep, full, and abundant satisfaction. Fullness. Literal fullness. We're told in verse 8, And they all ate and were satisfied. There's almost a picture here of a sense of, of Sabbath, rest, refreshment. Nearly an echo of those well known words from Psalm 23 The Lord is my shepherd. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He prepares a table before me. They were so satisfied. In fact, as they looked around, they found themselves surrounded by a surplus. See, the disciples picked up all the broken pieces that were left over, and how many baskets did they collect? Seven baskets. Again, that number, seven. Not only did Jesus feed them with seven loaves, now there were seven, a a full complement, perfection and completion and fullness of leftovers. That's how much God had provided provided for his people. And that word full there actually can be translated abundance and overflow. See, even the leftovers speak of God's generosity. The old commentator Matthew Henry says about this scene, the bounty of Christ is inexhaustible. The bounty of Christ is inexhaustible. Friends, will you begin this year beholding a God of abundance, anticipating God to be generous in his blessings to you. But here's why that's hard. Let's be real. Here's why that's hard to do. We can be captive to the nearly opposite mindset, what we might call a mindset of scarcity. We see this exemplified in the disciples. See, the scene is almost comical. After this glorious meal, this glorious display of God's abundance, we're told that Jesus and his disciples got into a boat when they suddenly realized, in verse 14, that they had forgotten to bring the leftover bread. All those leftovers, seven baskets full And they only had in their boat one loaf. One loaf of bread with them in the boat. You know, it's almost kind of like that moment, maybe you've experienced it, I have a thousand times, when you're driving home from a restaurant or a cookout, and you suddenly realize you forgot the leftovers that you had packed to go. You turn to the people, did you bring it? No, I thought, no, I, did you? And it's still sitting there on the chair in the restaurant right? The disciples are so distracted by this realization. All they're thinking about the rest of the trip is their bread shortage, the scarcity of food. And so Jesus starts teaching them. He says, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. See, leaven was a common metaphor for sin and corruption. Even a a little bit of yeast or leaven can spread through a whole lump of dough. So Jesus was warning them about the, the corrupting influence of the religious and political leaders around them. This is profound stuff that Jesus is bringing before them, but... All the disciples heard was want, 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 want bread, want, 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 want bread. All they have on their minds is the fact that they have no bread, shortage, scarcity. Jesus is trying to have a spiritual conversation. He wants to talk about their souls. All they can think about is their bodies, their empty stomachs. But they're not just preoccupied with food, of course, they are preoccupied with perceived scarcity. What are we going to do? We don't have enough. And as the story is being told, this mentality, of course, is just silly. I mean, not only did they just witness God miraculously feed 4,000 people with just seven loaves of bread, but they have the same guy who performed that very miracle sitting right there with them in the boat. Now, I mean, Jesus calls them out on this foolishness in verse 17 and following. Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet understand? The old commentator, again, Matthew Henry, said about this moment in the story that the disciples struggled with a disbelief in Jesus' power to supply them, notwithstanding the abundant experience they had had of it, as if he that multiplied five loaves and seven could not multiply one. Henry then turns to us and says, We are therefore overwhelmed with present cares and distrust because we do not understand and remember what we have known and seen of the power and the goodness of our Lord Jesus. They have one loaf of bread. They should have known, if they had known who Jesus is, that that one was more than enough. For Jesus to feed them. In fact, if they actually had zero, that would have been even enough for Jesus still to provide for their needs. The disciples are blind to the Christ of abundance, the God of generosity, because they are so captive to a mindset of scarcity, and so can we be also. Friends, I want you to think about this with me for just a second. We just came out of a very difficult year, collectively one of the most challenging years ever, a year that was marked by pandemic and loss, marked by racial strife and and protest, political conflict, electoral chaos, marked by distance and anxiety. And even death. And on so many different fronts of life, and for such a prolonged period of time, we faced all kinds of uncertainties and shortage and scarcity. Will there be enough? was a constant question on our minds. And truth be told, it may be a question that carries over even into this new year. We ask ourselves that again and again. Will there be enough toilet paper? Will there be enough food in the grocery stores? Will there be enough in my mental and emotional tank for me to keep on going? Will there be enough of the vaccine to go around? Will there be enough political will to preserve democratic institutions in the face of crisis? Will there be enough for faltering small businesses? Will there be enough? Will there be enough? We routinely lamented the threat of scarcity, what we were deprived of, what was unavailable to us. The challenge now is that we just might start the new year with the very same mindset, what we can call the mindset of scarcity. Waiting for the other shoe to drop, just waiting for bad news, waiting for deprivation, anticipating God not to show up. I say this with compassion. I know God does, because of course there's loads of compassion from the heart of God for all of our losses and across our experiences of last year, right? There was shortage, there was loss, and we do experience even now sort of an almost post-traumatic distress as those feelings and thoughts and fears and anxieties continue to linger in our hearts. But you need to notice that this scarcity mindset can be so destructive, not only to our own souls, but also to our relationships in community. You might notice that even with the disciples, there was a a sense of anxiety, that instead of rest and Sabbath that comes with God's abundance, The scarcity mindset brought to them sort of this frenetic anxiety that makes them assume, looking around, that there's, you hear the language, there is no bread here. There was one loaf of bread. But see, a scarcity mindset always rounds down. There's no bread. Not only anxiety, there's also division that is produced because of a scarcity mindset. You see the way that the disciples start to bicker with each other. The word disgusting can also carry the sense of dispute. They were arguing. Maybe they were pointing fingers at each other saying, did you forget that bread? Who didn't bring bring the, the bag of leftover bread? We had so much. How can this be? Whose fault is it? Oh, friends, there's so much when we're under the pressures of scarcity, where we start to point our fingers. Have you felt it yourself over the last several months? More fighting, more conflict, more impulse to criticize as our first response to the feeling of deprivation. If I don't have enough, whose fault is it? If I don't feel cared for, it's you accusation, division. Thirdly, instead of compassion in the scarcity mindset, we start to fall into self-absorption, not thinking caringly about other people. We're only thinking about our own care. We're running to the front of the line. We're seeking to meet my needs. How am I being taken care of? It's the only question that we're asking. And then we fall into what you might describe as hoarding, Right? Instead of breaking bread and sharing out of the abundance of God, there's the impulse to hoard and to grasp and even to steal. Uh, Maybe not literal possessions, though, maybe, but also to steal love, time, emotion, airtime, space, right? Not just the toilet paper but the feeling that in every part of life there's not enough to go around. Friends, do you see that, therefore, when your mind is consumed by a perception of scarcity, when you look around you, whether in your house or beyond your walls to your neighborhood and even within the church, there are no longer any neighbors, just threats, just competitors, just those that are going to gobble up the last morsel of food that you desperately need, or steal from the shelves the last roll of proverbial toilet paper that you desperately need. Scholar, Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann says this about our fears and perceptions about scarcity: We are torn apart by the conflict between our attraction to the good news of God's abundance and the power of our belief in scarcity, a belief that makes us greedy, mean, and unneighborly. Do you see even cracks and signs of that in your own life, the way that this scarcity mindset is actually become corrosive to your relationships? But it's not only our relationships with other people that it impacts. It's also our relationship with God. See, the scarcity mindset makes us blind to our provider. Just like with the disciples. Even when he's right there in the boat beside you, you look around and you say, there's no help here. Jesus wants to have that spiritual conversation. He wants you not only to see him, he wants to talk to you about your soul. Uh, Some of you in the midst of this pandemic, in the new year, Jesus is trying to talk to you about your soul and all you want to talk about is bread. He wants to talk about spiritual leaven, maybe the corrupting influence of sin. Or he wants to talk about the beauty of righteousness, the beauty of his grace. But we're fixated on what we don't have, what I can't do, what I'm going to run out of. And we see it in the questions that we are most asking. Remember what Jesus said? Why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Friends, what are the questions that you are obsessing about right now in your minds and in your hearts? What are the questions you're most asking, or demanding an answer to, it tells us a lot about our hearts. Because this can become a habit of mind and thought. See, the disciples did not adopt this scarcity mindset just in the moment. They even entered the scene with it already embedded within them. In verse 4, When they are told by Jesus, or they realize themselves that they're in trouble, there's this big crowd and they're all going hungry, in verse 4, they say to Jesus, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? It's not possible, Jesus. We're in the wilderness here, Jesus. No stores, no restaurants in sight. See, already from the start, their minds are fixed on shortage. Scarcity, what they don't have. Jesus, however, is more interested in what they do have. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? Oh, friends, will you hear Jesus ask you that question? Even in your state of grief and loss, even as you reckon with the things That are hard right now. And they are hard. But do you hear Jesus' question? How many loaves do you have? Behold God's abundance. Consider God's generosity to you today. And this may require a decisive turn in perspective. Perspective. God will provide for me abundantly in Christ. God is going to take care of me generously. You see, this passage turns our hearts upwards and opens our eyes to the generosity of our Heavenly Father. God gives. Christ gives, breaks bread, and shares Remember that great word, that all-important word at the start of this new year from Romans 8. He who did not spare, withhold his own son, but graciously, generously gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, Jesus himself is the meal. Jesus himself is the bread that God will abundantly provide you and me. In his own words from John 6, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Do you see the bread that Jesus promises to feed you with is not only the daily bread that he does in fact provide for you day to day, but ultimately it's the bread of his own flesh, his broken body, his spilled blood, his grace, his kindness, his compassion, his love, his covenant promise and presence that is not only good enough for you to meet your needs, he says, this is bread that I will give for the life of the world. Surplus. Seven baskets full of leftovers, full of abundance that overflows. Oh, friends, do you know that your cup runneth over in Christ. My cup spills over with the generosity of God. And as we taste God's abundance, God's generosity will make us into more generous people. With full hearts, we can then begin to practice, instead of hoarding, more sharing. As Brueggemann puts it, if bread is broken and shared, there's enough for all. What would it look like for you, for us to, to be a, a sharing people in the coming year? Uh, instead of division and accusation that comes with that scarcity mindset, uh, what if we became more of a, a people of reconciliation and inclusion? Drawing people into our lives rather than telling them to stand outside to make sure that our needs are met first. Uh, What if we practice compassion instead of self-indulgence, having our minds fixed on other people, having our guts pained by the pain of others rather than only carrying our own pain? Becoming a people that practice Sabbath and restfulness instead of anxiety, knowing that God out of the overflow of his heart will surely meet every one of my needs in Christ becoming a people that practice labor, neighborliness instead of competition, because there's enough for all of us to go around. And I'm not just talking about practical material needs. I'm also talking about emotional needs. Friends, if you love others, your heart will not run dry. God's kindness will be evermore poured into your heart, even in the midst of your sacrifice and generosity on behalf of of others, Instead of discontentment and grumbling, we will discover satisfaction. And instead of eyes that are blind to our provider, we will begin to behold the presence of our provider, seeing that he's right in there, in the boat with you, even in the storm. So, brothers and sisters, people of God's abundance, will we start this new year fixing our eyes on God's generosity and out of the fullness of that commit ourselves to live generously friends behold the abundance of God beloved why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread do you not remember Have you not heard? The Lord of Abundance is here. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to this podcast from Grace Mosaic. For more information about our church, visit us online at gracemosaic.org.